Good morning. My name is Karen Egger, and I'm a member of the Chantilly Community Group. This morning's reading is from Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them? Yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority, the flocks and the herds and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims in the ocean currents. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, Christ Central. Uh, for those of you who are visiting with us today, my name is Omari Hill. I'm visiting pastor this church. Uh, family has been a part of this church almost since its beginning, probably maybe a few months uh, after it started back in, I guess our first public worship service was back in 2004 uh, at the Neighborhood Theater in Nodal. And um, we've come a long way since those days, and here we are almost 20 years later uh, here on the, the east side, moving on up to the east side. Here we go. Uh, so we are, we're here on Central Avenue, and it's a pleasure to be with all of you this morning. Um, so as you already know, we've been going through uh, the book of Psalms for the summer. And this morning, you've just heard uh, most eloquently from our sister uh, reading from the eighth Psalm. And as you can see, we'll be talking about something a little personal this morning, just a little personal. Um, as you've read this, or if you heard this uh, Psalm read, one could look at it and go, okay, it begins with speaking of the majesty of the name of God. And it ends also with speaking about the majesty of the name of God. And so then one could approach this psalm and say, okay, well then how do I make much of the name of God? How do I live, make decisions, relate, love, and work in such a way that I can also see and glorify the majestic name of God. And we will get to that. But I want to come at this from a different angle this morning. And one is just by simply reminding some of you, and I don't need to be, a lot of you, I don't need to remind you, that one of the hottest groups out there, it's kind of weird to say this, one of the hottest groups because it's a Christian group, but Maverick City, the world is crazy about Mav City right now. If you go on the gram, Facebook, whatever it might be, like I'm on the gram a lot, a little too often. I need to get off. I need to spend some time just relax from the gram. But um, if you go on there, you know, right now, Maverick City, then they just came through Charlotte and they had the tour, the kingdom tour with Kirk Franklin. And everybody's been like flooding this thing, right? Tickets selling out like that. Mav City is pretty popular and for good reason. And they had this one song that they released last year. I think it's last year now. Ever since COVID, I can't, I can't tell time anymore. I don't know if that's, am I the only one that's happened? I can't figure out what year I'm in. I don't know what's going on. 
COVID just messed up my sense of time. Um, but I think it was, or maybe it was earlier this year when they released a song called Gyra. And, um, you know, many of you have probably sung this song in, uh, in the shower or something like that, maybe on your way to work or something. You, know, you, you like this song. And there's, there's this part in the song where, uh, it's where they say, uh, speaking to the Lord, you are enough, so I am enough. Right? God, you are enough, so I am enough. And so this refrain that goes over and over again. And some of you know the song, right? But there are times in our lives when we wonder, am I enough? Like, really, am I enough? It's easy to sing it sometimes, but there are things that happen in our lives. Lives twist and turns, the peaks and valleys of it challenge us, and we begin to wonder, am I really enough? Life is filled with all kinds of trials, all kinds of things that are, that are hard at, at different levels, right? There are times when we're like, oh, okay, I can do this. I have the ability to get through this. I feel resilient. And then at other times, it's like, this is just too much. I need a lot of help. And it's in those times, those times in which we are challenged to that level, where we sometimes lose our way, even a sense of self. Who am I? Times when we're rejected, when we're injured, when we feel betrayed. In David's words, hearing this psalm sort of resonate with us in those times, do they not? Like we say them in a different way. When he says in verse 4, what are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them? In those difficult times, right, what, who am I right, that God should care about me? Does he? Does he care about me? This is difficult. I don't have what it takes to get through. I've lost my sense of self. I don't know who I am anymore. This is really difficult. And when David, when he says these verses, like the, the preceding verse in verse 3, he looks at the stars, right? And, uh, he said, look at the moon and look at the sun and then come away with this kind of reflection. Well, was when one thing is, and this is, as I thought about this, I look at the stars and even as I'm looking forward and seeing how the, um, the, even the lights in this room sort of mimic the stars in a way. You know, it's that the stars are, are bright, and they seem to last forever. Now, we know scientifically that they don't, and a lot of stars that we see are probably already dead when the light's coming to us. But that's beside the point. Just trying to, like, just go with this, right? They, they seem to go on, you know, it's like, like they seem to go on forever, and yet we don't, right? And in these times of trial and when we've lost our sense of self, so we, we realize, wait, I am not like the stars. I don't shine as bright. I am not as glorious. My glory is temporary. It seems to be dimming especially underneath these trials and what I'm going through. Sometimes we can think like, okay, maybe if I could just be like a celebrity, if I could be someone famous, then maybe I'll have some glory. Maybe I can have a sense of self that I feel is stable and that will last forever. Well, not so fast because I have a little testimony here from a sister that some of you know by the name of Lizzo. Uh, and she, her latest album, called Special, the, the title cut, um, she, she wrote some notes about the title cut, uh, the, the, the record that she recorded, which is the name of her album, and she says this. She said, uh, speaking to an interviewer, she said, after Rumors, which is one of her previous albums, I received a lot of backlash. I think it was because people hadn't heard from me since Cause I Love You. 
And this was their opportunity to attack me because I was visible, you know. But I turn my pain into music. I turn my pain into profit. I make it work for me. So I went to the studio to write a song for myself that would remind me how special I am. In the second verse, I say, could you imagine a world where everybody's the same and you could cancel a girl because she just wanted to change? How could you throw blankety-blank stones if you ain't been through her pain? That's why we feel so alone. That's why we feel so much shame. And then she says, I was trying to flip the mirror on people, that same mirror that I checked myself with. It's me saying, you attack people like they're the monster, but you've become the monster. No one's giving anyone the space to be themselves, to show their specialness, to grow. And that is a challenge for us. When we are assaulted by words or by betrayal or just by the harsh moments of life when they come toward us, we're struggling to figure out, am I special anymore? Do I have room to grow or am I done? I've lost my sense of self. When, what do you do when pain threatens to turn you into a monster and you forget who you are? David invites us to slow down and to contemplate. Now, that, that seems a little counterintuitive. Like, think about that. Like, hey, wait, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm trying to, you know, reestablish my sense of self here. I, this, this has to happen quickly. I need to hurry. But our culture is addicted to hurry, and we don't know what it's like to be able to slow down and to contemplate the world around us and the God who made it in order to recover ourselves. And we can't afford not to hurry. There's a pastor uh, some of you know of out on the West Coast by the name of John Mark Comer, and he's written a book which I love called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And he says this, that hurry is a form of violence on the soul. And, he's, and he's, he talks about, uh, he lists 10 symptoms. If you want to know like how he breaks down all these different symptoms, you can read this, his book. But he talk, there are 10 common symptoms of, this, of hurry. See if any of these resonate with you. Irritability, hypersensitivity, restlessness, nonstop activity, AKA workaholism, emotional numbness, out of order priorities, lack of care for your body, escapist behaviors, slippage of spiritual habits, disciplines, and lastly, isolation. We can't afford not to deal with this issue of hurry. He says, psychologists tell us anxiety is often the canary in the coal mine. Our soul's way of telling us something is deeply wrong and we need to fix it fast. Are we willing to consider David's invitation to recover ourselves? If so, then I want to suggest to you just two things from this text, from this psalm, this beautiful psalm, that if we would recover ourselves, we need to acknowledge the majesty of God, firstly, and then secondly, surrender to the majesty of God. So first we acknowledge his majesty, and then we surrender to it. Majesty of God. Now I just spoke a, a second ago about our own glory, recovering ourselves. So here we go. All right, church dude talking about the majesty of God. I'm trying to recover my own majesty. Why then uh, um, center myself on the majesty of God? Aren't, after all, in this culture, don't we say, I'm queen, right? I'm the man. 
Well, when things get tough, that's what our culture says, yes. You should say, right, remind yourself, right? Speak to yourself. I'm the queen. I'm the man. Say that to yourself. Strangely enough, as you see from the scriptures, we can say along with the rest of the culture regarding that, facts, right? You are a queen. You are the man, just not the way you think. So let's read these verses. Um, verse 1, right? David centers us on the majesty of God. Verse 1, he says, O Lord, our Lord, how uh, your majestic, sorry, I'm thinking of another translation in my head. Your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. And then in verse 9, he says, O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. He starts us off by acknowledging the majesty of God. Hey, if we want to recover our center, that is our deeper selves, then we must learn how to acknowledge the majesty of the God who is there. After all, what alternative do we have? I'm glad you asked about that, because there actually are a couple alternatives that are out there. Okay, um, and you probably know what some of these alternatives are already, because you've probably lived them like I have. You tried them out. So Christian or not, we've all tried out these different alternatives. In trying to recover ourselves, we center ourselves on something else or someone else other than God. My former pastor, Tim Keller, um, talks about three different, he named like three different alternatives in our culture. So I'll share those with you. And the first one, all these you've probably heard of before, as I've said, right? That our, our culture tells us that you are what you want, right? Uh, secondly, our culture also tells us you are what you feel. And then thirdly, well, that'll be a surprise, but you'll recognize it when you hear it, okay? So first one. Right? Our culture tells us you are what you want. That is what you can acquire, right? what you're able to achieve. Your identity depends on what you can consume, what you can get. And, and nowadays, well, not just nowadays, I mean for years, grown people have got on youth for this, right? We've got on young people because we look at them and we go, oh, okay, well, they're not just disappointed, but they're actually in despair over what? Bad hair? You know, wrong makeup? Seriously? right? Certain clothing or shoes, like you don't have it. Like you're not just disappointed, but you're like, oh, my life is over. Who am I? Ugh. Right? But then adults, we do the same thing, just in different ways, right? And we hang ourselves on what I call the when I, right? When, when I get that house, right? When I get that promotion, when I, when I get my book published, you know, when, when I fix the racial wealth gap, you know, no, nothing small, like, you know, I do big things, right? You know, when I find a cure for poverty, you know, just, when I finally do these things, then I'll be somebody, right? Or when, when I win a 5K, when I can wear my high school clothes again, uh, right, when, when I eat whatever I want to eat, and, and you know, when I, I'm able to build a team that, that gets trends on social media, when I find a partner who loves me, then I'll be somebody. Adults do the same thing as the kids, same thing as the youth. But ask the people who have these things, who have what they sought after, what they wanted. It's never what they expected. There's still something missing, something else that is lacking, something else that is needed to fulfill their sense of self. Right? So deep down in their heart, 
right? They ask the question, is, is, I have it, but is, is this it? Is this it? Okay, so, the, so our culture says, all right, you know, you are what you want. But then secondly, I said, the alternative to centering ourselves on God is going, okay, you are what you feel. And we know about this. We've been there. Your identity depends on your, your likes and your dislikes. Just find out what you like, and you'll find yourself. Find your passion. Get to your passion, and you'll get to yourself. Sounds simple, right? Easy. And I personally have tried this path, and I've taken all kinds of assessments, and I've had all kinds of conversations. You know, my wife knows I, I'm, like, almost addicted to assessments, you know, just constantly looking through stuff. And, you know, and, and a lot of this is good, right? All these things are, all these things are good. Like, let, me, let me say that. Right? These things are good in and of themselves. You know, or, um, you know, all these different achievements that I spoke of just a second ago. Finding your passion, all those things are good, but are they adequate enough for our center? Can they really give us our sense of self? And so our culture says you are what you feel, right? Just simply uncover your deepest passions, and you'll be good to go. Right? But it's good to acknowledge our passions, as I've said. We don't want to dismiss them. We don't want to live passionless lives. That's not the way that God wants us to live, right? We weren't made to live without passions, but they're not enough. Now, deep down, um, this is just an example. I'm thinking about passions. Deep down, we want to be slim. Right? You want to be slim and trim. Okay? You, you know, you get down, you're deep as a man, I want to be healthy. Deep down, you also want to eat that that, uh, that cookie dough ice cream in the middle of the night. You want to do that. Okay, so what do you, what do, you do? Those are conflicting passions. Right? How, how, do you, how do you make a decision on that? Well, okay, you're right. Uh, if you want to live longer, then, you know, you say, a little, you say no to the ice cream sometimes, right? You got to say no to that. But if, you, if you've taken that stance to life where you just kind of like YOLO, right? <laughs> Whatever. Then you're going to eat that ice cream. You're going to do what you want, okay? But which one do you choose? Which one do you choose? Could you imagine how our relationships would work if we all lived on the whim of our passions? Like, how does love work when we're just living off of what we feel? Like, and, and, then, and then who gets to decide which feeling is better than the other, right? If there's no God, then, like, then who cares, right? Just do what you want. Do what you feel in the moment. And if somebody gets angry with you, then, well, they have no basis for that, right? Because there's no God. You just, it's just about my passions, right? The justice, that's just your passion, right? That, that's great that you have a passion. You love justice. You want to see good things happen in the world. But guess what? I decide what's good. Your community decides what's good. And at the end of the day, it's, all, it's just about power, right? It's just, hey, I can dictate and enforce my definition of goodness over yours. If we're just living in a world that is only about our passions, but there is a God who is there. We normally make an appeal to something greater than our individual feelings to make life work, to make love work. We know that there's something else there. So the alternatives to finding ourselves in God as our culture says, is to look and find out what you want or find out what you feel. 
Then there's this third alternative, this one that I think we're more familiar with now than maybe we were for those of us who are old enough a couple of decades ago. And it's simply, you are whatever you say you are. Right? You are whatever you say you are. You define yourself. Just doesn't matter even what you want, what you feel. Just, just define yourself. Right? Your identity, your sense of self depends on how you define it. Be whoever you want to be. I mean, this is a relatively new posture toward ourselves and our culture. But unfortunately, we don't live in video games. We don't live in a social media app. Right? We live in a world that has real boundaries, where fish are separated from birds, and the moon is separated from the sun, and the land is separated from the seas. We live in a real world of boundaries and habitats and species with distinct smells and tastes and images. And they're all coming to us, and we recognize them if we would slow down long enough to receive them. When we have become bored right, or discontent with our design, then our world suggests that instead, uh, our world suggests that we should just discard it. Get rid of it. What I'm suggesting to you that from, from the scriptures, even as we are listening carefully to David, that in, instead of discarding your design, go deeper. There's something else that you've missed. You don't know what else is there. Right? Maybe you're just listening to what the culture has said about your design. You're not listening to God and going deeper. Right? Uh, the culture only goes to the surface level. And, and this isn't even here, but, you know, we, we have, um, you know, we, we've had all these conversations here in our church with regard to manhood, right? We've talked about this. Uh, and thanks to a lot of folks in our, in our church who've been working hard uh, to help us uh, attack and dismantle toxic masculinity, uh, we, we, we're getting somewhere on this, I believe, right? We're not perfect, but we're getting somewhere. And, and this, this is one of those examples where uh, the, our culture has given us such a thin definition of what masculinity is. And then we've gotten tired of that. And it, it's toxic. And it's tearing us apart. And it's disrupting our society in ways that do not honor God and do not honor who we are as people who are made after the image of God. But rather than discard masculinity, let's go deeper. Right? We, we, we haven't gone deep enough. We haven't sat with it long enough with the Lord. Um, oh, gosh. Uh, <laughs> that, that, that wasn't here. That wasn't here. Um, yes, we haven't sat with our limits long enough to see their potential and to even delight in them. Isn't that what we want? Don't we want to delight in ourselves? But already we've become bored with who we are. Right? And how do you delight in yourself when you're constantly reinventing who you are? You'll never get there. Right? Like, when does it end? And how will you know when you've arrived? How will you know when you finally got to who you need to be and who you are? Right? You're only as good, in this case, as what you can create. Our society wouldn't work that way, though. If we applied that to everything throughout society, Hey, let's just keep reinventing. Let's just keep just like just throwing. Uh, it would be unstable. Just, we, can't, we can't make it that way. And we'll, we'll be right back to the same problem that we've been trying to address. 
when my life is filled with trouble and turmoil and I've lost my sense of self, I do not want to belong to a society that's even more unstable than I am. I need a place of safety. I need to feel secure. David is saying that these ways will leave us vacant. All three of these ways will leave us vacant. If we lost our sense of self and our culture is telling us that ultimately we need to center ourselves on our achievements or our passions or power, we will be left vacant. The light will be on in our souls, but no real body will be home. There's no real person there. How do you come home to yourself? Acknowledge the majesty of God. Acknowledge that he is our creator. He knows who we are, and he has a vision for us that will blow our minds. I love the way Eugene Peterson puts this uh, in the message, his paraphrase of the scriptures in Psalm 8, the way he writes in Psalm 8 in verse 3. He says, check this out. He says, I look up at your macro skies, dark and enormous, your handmade sky jewelry, moon and stars mounted in their settings. Then I look at my micro self and wonder, why do you bother with us? Why take a second look our way? Yet we've so narrowly missed being gods. Bright with Eden's dawn light, you put us in charge of your handcrafted world, repeated to us your Genesis charge, made us stewards of sheep and cattle, even animals out in the wild, birds flying and fish swimming, whales singing in the ocean deeps. Do you see the dignity of who we are? And of course, when he says Genesis charge, he's going back to the book of Genesis where after God made man, he's, he, he said, it says that he put man and also woman in the garden, right, to cultivate it. Right, to bring forth the potential of the world, right, to be managers over it, to be stewards. That is what we are. If we acknowledge our creator, we can see ourselves as we truly are. I love it. Eugene Peterson says, so narrowly missed being gods. Right? So narrowly missed. We were this close right, to, to being gods and the, and the way that God made us. He made us stewards. In the glory of God, we, we find our own glory. The only beings, we, human beings, are the only beings that are greater um, than all that God has made, except for the angels and God himself. Right? We're the greatest beings on the planet in this universe, except for the angels. And God himself, and according to the Bible, the superiority of the angels is even a little suspect. I mean, think about that for a minute. I mean, seriously, let that sit in your spirit. There is no one greater than you in this world than God and the angels. Do you believe that? Do you want that? Can you feel that? When that boy won't text you back, when your boss dismisses your project, when you lose the game, when your body won't do what you want, 
the God who set the galaxies and the stars and the heavens, who tracks every path of the comets, who knows the truth about Pluto, it's a planet, <laughs> who spoke the laws of quantum physics into existence, right, uh, says you are more glorious than every living thing, seen and unseen, in this universe, and he has called you to be a steward, a servant ruler over this entire world because he's made you to be like him. Let that sink in, right? And now, if that doesn't amaze you, if you're hearing that, you're just kind of like, oh, that's a little corny. Uh, I don't know about that. Okay, let me lovingly invite you to slow down your hurried life, turn off your smartphone, right? Because you haven't gone deep enough into who you already are in the hands of God. You need to go deeper. Come away from the screens for a minute. Come away from the hurry. Notice what God is doing. See his glory written in your own body. This happens as we acknowledge God's majesty over our own. When we look to his glory first, we find our own glory. And what I've been suggesting so far is a form of mindfulness. Right? Some of you may have already picked that up. Right? What is that? It's a life posture of awareness, which reconnects us to our center. Mindfulness is very biblical. Right? It's, there's, a, there's a Christian, there's a biblical version of mindfulness. And this psalm declares, however, that a whole life, which is what we want, includes a holy life. For they're enemies of God's glory over us and around us and in us that need to be silenced. To experience victory for ourselves, we need more than to be aware. We need more than acknowledgement, right? But we also need to surrender to the majesty of God. If we're to be changed, if we're to recover who we truly are, to be honest with ourselves. As we examine ourselves and as we use, as Lizzo said, using that analogy, that metaphor of mirror, if we take the mirror of the glory of God, then we have to be honest with ourselves that um, we haven't been really good stewards of the natural world. Even less our, our neighborhoods or our, our relationships I mean, we all know that there are documentaries of plenty out there. Like just the other day, I was watching uh, the one on Netflix, our national parks, uh, narrated by President Obama, and, you know, just talking about, like, just how beautiful the habitats are, but then also what we're doing to mess these places up, right? And, you know, like, we, all of us are guilty of participating in this, right? The documentaries are out there. They show it. Like, we can't get away from it. There's evidence, right? The world's got receipts on just how bad, like we've been treating this natural world. We have not done well with ruling over the fish of the sea and of the, the birds of the air and the animals of the land, right? Uh, we've consumed them. We've dominated nature to fill our own emptiness. There's something there that we're trying to fill. And as we try to fill it, whether it's like through, through buying cheap stuff or like just eating Burger King at 11.30 at night, right? It's just, you know, we're, we're trying to fill ourselves, 
because of some emptiness. I, I've been guilty of this. I, and this, I mean, this hit me the other day, and I was just like, wow. Um, I, I love a good sale. I love that the fact that uh, you can go to Walmart or Kohl's or something like that, and the, you know, there's a shirt that you really like, but instead of getting it from like Banana Republic or whatever, you know, I can just get it from over here and it's cheaper. Well, okay, but now like I've got to ask my question, why is it cheap? Are they able to keep the prices low because there's somebody on the other side of the globe who's making this stuff for a penny and is not being treated well? So therefore it's cheap for me, the ugly American? Oh my gosh, like there's, there's no way to get away from this. I'm guilty. Just, I mean, just, right? And it's just, it, it, whether the guilt is conscious or, or unconscious, it's there. Now, what's easy to do in moments like this, when we have this moment of clarity and we kind of see ourselves, how complicit we might be in some of these actions, it's easy then to go to a place of shame. And they go like, ah, oh, what am I supposed to do? I can't move forward in the world. I need to just isolate myself, right? That's a tool of the devil, and hopefully you see why here in just a second. We're not meant to respond with shame, but rather meant to respond by running to God for mercy. But our restlessness is costly to the world, and its creator is not pleased. How can he be? Well, he made this world in love. It's... You know, I, I love how C.S. Lewis talks about um, the creation narrative. He describes it as like a song. That God was singing as he made the world. I love that image. I don't know if this is actually what happened, but man, that's not far from like our imagination, from what we know about the Lord. Sure. His heart was filled with joy as he made all things. Look at, think about anything that we've made, anything that we've worked hard on. And if somebody just comes along and trashes the thing, how do you feel? So how do we think the, the Lord should respond when he sees what's happening to the world, how we're treating it, how we're treating each other, and how we're treating ourselves? Some have abandoned the world. They've isolated themselves from relationships to preserve their own sense of self, to establish themselves. Workaholism, anyone? Let me just apply myself to my work. I can't, I can't deal with that. I can't deal with these relationships and whatnot. I got, I got to get out of here. You know, let me just keep working. Centering ourselves on something that is good and making it more than what it ought to be. Work and activity should not be God in our lives, but rather an expression of our worship of God. But God has not abandoned us. We know this. God has not failed to serve us. For David says, he says, you have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. See, in the weak things, and we just sang about this, in the weak things, we find our way to glory. Right? Check this out. Look at Matthew 21. We see this interaction that Jesus has with the religious leaders. In Matthew 21, he says this, The leading priests and the teachers of religious law saw these wonderful miracles, miracles that Jesus was performing as a, this is taking place in a, uh, what we call Palm Sunday, right? Jesus is entering 
into Jerusalem. And, and so the, the, the teachers of religious law saw these wonderful miracles and heard even the children in the temple shouting, praise God for the son of David. But the leaders were indignant. They asked Jesus, do you hear what these children are saying? Yes, Jesus replied, haven't you read the scriptures? For they say, you have taught children and infants to give you praise. Right? He's, he's quoting this psalm that we just heard. And when, he, when he's saying this, so the religious leaders and, and many others, they expected, right, they expected somebody who, uh, um, who would be a strong king that would come in uh, with, with strength and power uh, and, and even some level of acceptable violence, right, to establish God's reign over his broken world. But what did the children see? They saw a man. An ordinary man, not riding on a horse, but on a donkey, right? Riding into the royal city of Jerusalem. Here's the king of kings, God's appointed Messiah, riding into the royal city in weakness. Here's Emmanuel, God with us, riding toward trauma and suffering, just like you and I do writing right into these things to die for our sins and to rise from the grave that we might have a way to recover our glory in his arms. Here's the good news, friends. As we practice being mindful of God, we can do it because God is already mindful of us. God's practicing mindfulness. And you're right in the center. You're right there with him. That, that, is, that, is, that is what we depend upon. I, I love it. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way in uh, Hebrews chapter 2. He says, and furthermore, it is not angels who will control the future world we are talking about. For in one place the scriptures say, what are mere mortals that you should think about them or a son of man that you should care for him? Yet for a little while you made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them authority over all things. Now, when it says all things, it means nothing is left out, right? All means all. But when we have not, uh, but we have not yet seen all things put under their authority. What do we see? What we do see is Jesus, who for a little while was given a position, a little lower than the angels, and because he suffered death for us, he is now crowned with glory and honor. Yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone. And we know that being a follower of Jesus, right, doesn't just, it doesn't just fix everything right away, right? We know this. Being a follower of, and also being a follower of Jesus may not look like much. Like we look around this room, as beautiful as every single person is, right, we we'll also can see our weaknesses at some level, right? And if you get to know us, you'll see even more. You get to know me, you get to see even more of my weaknesses. So it's like, we may not look as glorious as what this is saying, what Hebrews has said and what Jesus is saying about us. Oh, but one day, we'll be servant rulers of a new creation. That time is coming. But if we surrender to Jesus now, then we will know the way by we surrender to him. If we make him our center, then we will be on our way to that future 
that God has promised to those who love him. Making Jesus our center is the only way to get there. And of course, if we're honest with the Christian life, right, thinking about it, the path to recovering ourselves is actually a long one. I'm, what I'm suggesting to you today is not something that can just, hey, just take this pill before you leave, right, before the benediction, and it's all good, you know? It's going to fix you. Nope, right? It's, we're on a path. It's a journey. It's going to take time. Just because we've surrendered ourselves to Jesus doesn't automatically center us. It doesn't automatically make us live gloriously. But um, it is one, this journey, this path that we're on, it's one that we must and can walk with the Lord. He's with us. And we can walk with him as we learn to imitate him. And if we would learn to delight, if we want to learn to delight in ourselves, then we must learn how to delight in the glory of God. We must learn to delight in his majesty. For haven't you heard that old saying, imitation is the best form of flattery? Right? Let's learn how to imitate God. Right? And, and, it, like, and, and where do you even look? To do this, if we want to know how to imitate our creator, how, how do you do this? Right? And the good news is that his majesty is all over the place. Like, it's all over his world, and it's all through his word. And as we give ourselves to these things, right, and become more aware of it and pay attention and then surrender ourselves to his glory, then we will learn how to imitate God. But it takes more than even just that, because this path, this journey, is not instant, and we can't do it alone. We need habits, and we need communities like this one to help us along the way. The details about all that stuff I can't get into right now, that's, like, that's a different sermon. Um, however, I will, I will say uh, one book I've been reading over the summer that I think is helpful uh, is by a uh, psychologist named Kurt Thompson. Some of you have heard of him, and the book is called The Soul of Desire. Excellent book. Um, if you want to get into, like, okay, what does this mean? How do I get, how, how can I expect a community to help me to imitate God? Right? To become beautiful as God is beautiful. Um, I suggest reading that book. It's pretty good. So it's not enough to acknowledge God's reign, though, of glorious love over his world and over us. But we must surrender to it and imitate it. And isn't that great? We actually have the ability and the opportunity to reflect the glory of God. That's amazing. And as we do that, bitterness and, and foolishness will make way for wisdom and beauty. In Christ, you are enough to reflect the glory of God wherever you go. Let's take this journey of recovery together. Let's do it. Let's center ourselves in Christ and seek to be who we can be in him. We'll witness his glory expanding over our little part of the world. And maybe as we do that, as we do that, church, we'll begin to hear the chorus get louder and louder, singing, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. 
Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your majesty. We praise you for your goodness and your glory. Truly, there is none like you. Your wisdom cannot be fathomed by any instrument, any degree, any education, any relationship. The depths of who you are can never be, never be uh, fully discovered by us. But Father, you call us rather to dwell in you and to dwell with you to walk in the midst of your glory, even as you make us into glorious beings. Thank you, God, for sharing just a touch of your nature with us. Remind us, Lord, in times when we are distressed and we have lost our way and lost the sense of ourselves, that you have made us after your image. And that is nothing to shake a stick at. That is nothing to balk at. It is not something for, for which we ought to think, oh, man, that's corny. But, Father, it is everything. You are everything. Would you fight our enemies for us? Show us how to take up weapons of warfare that are not carnal, but weapons that are spiritual for taking down the strongholds that have been set up by the enemy. Father, the things that have come against us, to destroy our humanity, to deface the very thing that you have put into this world to reflect your glory. Lord, would you equip us to fight against these things? And first, looking toward also the enemy within. Take us to the cross. Take us to the empty tomb. Take us to the throne where our Savior is seated at your right hand. Take us there, Lord, by your Spirit, that we might have the power, that we might have the victory, which says to us that we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Father, as we attempt to imitate you, our glorious and beautiful King, give us grace, remind us of your mercy, Chase after us with your goodness and mercy all of our days. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.